Hello and welcome to Red Shirts, a podcast about Star Trek. I'm your host, Jake Donaldson, and I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts, Maddie, Destination Star Trek Church House, and Nathan. Destination. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Thomas. Without, <laughs> without further ado, let's engage. <laughs> Nathan actually got the sexy ladies like banging the drums, so I think he exactly, wins. Exactly, yeah. Have you, have you guys <laughs> yeah. seen that music video? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have, yes. Several times upon deciding that that was the introduction I was going to do. I, um, <laughs> for, the, for the purposes of research, uh, watch oh, the, of course, the video of course. sexy ladies <laughs> several times. Naturally. <laughs> Hello, I'm back. Hello, Woo! welcome back. Is your gallbladder um, out of you? Yes, um, <laughs> I'm now missing a gallbladder. I, uh, the, the Red Shirts podcast is, uh, has lost some weight in the last week. Uh, specifically, <laughs> uh, the weight of one uh, large inflamed gallbladder. Uh, but it's gone. And Damn. I'm now, I, yes, I'm now recovering. I've been, I had surgery about a week ago, and I'm now recovering at home. Uh, Contrary to the holes. fake news spread on the last episode of the podcast we did not in fact kill jake he just had an operation <laughs> yeah, yeah i unfortunately have come back to, from from the dead um uh first things first uh what the fuck was space steve Irwin doing here <laughs> <laughs> look i look I... We, you weren't here we had to invite someone special yeah, <laughs> so, yeah i tell yeah. you what tom b's gonna be pissed off <laughs> really? Does he not like Steve Irwin? No, it's just he, he just he wants to come back. <laughs> he would, he'll be annoyed. That's now I think Steve about Irwin. it, he would have jumped at the chance to be like. Yeah, it's, he'll be annoyed. Though. Space Steve Irwin has taken uh, precedence over him being invited. You know what? That's it's a really good point. We're really sorry, Tom B. And next time Jake has an operation to remove an internal organ, we will definitely ask you, not Space Steve Irwin, whose you know Australian accent now, was like sketchy at best. <laughs> there was a point where it sounded Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> Look, let's just not talk about it. No, we it. didn't. <laughs> Hang on. No, 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 no. We can't be having that. Nathan's a Yorkshireman. He'll kill you for saying that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not. It's lovely to be back, uh, back talking about Star Trek again with you. Um, I am now full of holes, and from one thing that's full of holes to another, uh, this week we're looking at an episode of uh, Decent called Distant Voices, um, and. I mean, look, we'll get into this, but it's not the best thing I've ever seen. Uh, It was an episode, and it was an episode of DS9, and that's two things that we can definitely say about it. (laughs) And also... Jake, Jake, when you picked this, I was like, oh no, I don't want to tell him, but I think think he might go off DS9 again (laughs) after watching this. Oh well, (laughs) I guess we'll have to live with that. I'll be honest, while I've been recovering, I've been uh, re-watching all of Voyager in order. Um, and I'm now Aww. a proper Voyager stan. Um, and I'm, apart from Neelix, obviously he's still he's still a con. But uh, the um, I, I I was in a proper Voyager mood, and then I watched this episode of DS9, and I was like, oh, DS9 is so sad and dull and boring. 
boring compared to Voyager. Oh, come on. That's such fascist lies. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't think it... This epi- I go well, away for one week and I we'll get into it. called a fascist. <laughs> Look, well, Nathan, would you like to describe the, uh, the plot of... Uh, of distant voices, which, as I've said, is almost as full as whole, of holes as I am now. Um, go ahead. Then. Yeah. Um, well, we we begin with Garrick admitting that he is trying to lose weight, and then gives Bashir his birthday present, a Cardassian mystery novel, which Bashir doesn't enjoy as much because everyone's guilty. You've just got to work out how they're guilty and of what. Um, Bashir laments being thirty in the aging process. Quark interrupts Bashir because his friend, a lesbian, wants to buy restricted biomimetic gel. Um, But Quark's buyer is willing to pay whatever the price. Bashir won't budge. It's restricted. You can't have it. Later, Bashir finds Quark's friend in his office. And uh, when Bashir attempts to stop him, he gets electrocuted by some kind of weird telepathy thing. Um, after the titles, he awakens and calls security, but finds no response. The station appears to be in some way broken. No response from basically anything. It also seems that the whole station is abandoned, and he seems a little older and greyer. Bashir hears smashing glass and cautiously approaches and encounters a terrified Quark. Uh, Quark won't come with him, and he's not willing to move. Bashir gets a chair thrown at him. And then Quark is gone. Bashir finds the replicators are broken and leaking. He approaches Constable Odo, but it turns out that Garrick is in there. Garrick thinks everyone has gone missing. A massive system failure has been going on for hours. Bashir can hear whispering voices, which Garrick cannot. Garrick notices that Bashir's hair is grey. The two split split up in an effort to investigate different leads. As Bashir traverses the station, he is forced to kick an angry-looking alien out of the turbolith. It's the Lathian from before. He briefly tries to fall asleep before being awoken by a bashing in the turbo lift. And now visibly aged, Bashir finds Dat, Smiles, Kira, and Odo arguing. It seems that the Lethian, the creature, is attacking people and trying to destroy the, sta- the station. The crew continue to argue, and Bashir knows his friends are acting abnormally. Bashir hears voices again and struggles to make out the words. Bashir and the crew go to repair the computer junction and continue to bicker. They get an audio signal, which appears to be Cisco and Dax. Dax's voice explains that Julian is in some kind of telepathically induced coma and will be dead for hours um, if he's not repaired. When Julian scans himself, he realizes he is indeed in a coma. The tricorder fails to pick up any life signs from the rest of the crew. They are not happy at the idea that they're merely figments of his imagination. The scene goes on for a while, explaining the concept that the crew represent different aspects of his personality. The group decide that the Lethian represents the telepathic damage done to his mind, and it's Julian's mind that is being damaged. Um, so repair the station, repair the damage to Julian's minds, and as they realise this, Dax is kidnapped out of nowhere. Julian then finds himself in a <laughs> tennis game with Garrick, who knows everything. Um, Garrick tells him that we are running out of time and uh, go to Ops, Julian. Um, Julian walks along a corridor with a bunch of injured people and meets Cisco, who is doing the doctor's job. Cisco apparently represents his professionalism and skill. Um, he is needed at Ops, but Lethian kidnaps him as well. Bashir tries to fire a phaser at him, but it has no effect. He intends to trap Bashir and take him apart piece by piece. Bashir finds a dead major Kira and a dying Odo. Bashir is getting older. He's losing his confidence, intelligence, and strength to the Lethian. He encounters 
Miles, who tries to convince him to give up. Julian abandons his self-doubt in the form of Chief Miles O'Brien, um, but his self-doubt <laughs> follows him in a metaphor for depression, I assume. Um, Julian, uh, though, ends up going round in circles. He notices a monitor showing his depleting vitals. Julian finds Quark and a crowd of people betting on Julian's life, the course of death, time till death, and what organ will fail next. The Lethian grabs and kills Quark, Miles also dies, and the aging Bashir runs. Bashir is grabbed by Garrick, Bashir's hip is broken and he can't walk, he insists on Garrick helping him. Garrick tells him it's over, he is a weak, defeated old man. Garrick will, though, give him a hand, and with Garrick's help, Bashir makes it to Op, where there is a birthday party and a strange sexy lady who sings happy birthday with Garrick to Bashir. Bashir focuses on the job and the work he has to do, pulling back old engineering, uh, pulling out old engineering extension courses. Uh, Bashir snaps at Garrick for not knowing stuff, and Garrick points out he's just another part of him. Tennis balls fall on them, and Garrick points out the damage is too extensive. Bashir says he doesn't sound like Barrick, like Garrick, or indeed Bashir. Why has the Latin killed every person but you? What part of me do you represent? Uh, the You tell me, Doctor. Bashir declares Garrick is not part of him, so who are you? Garrick promptly morphs into the Lethian. Why don't you give up, Doctor? This is, after all, what you've always done. You abandoned your dream to be a t- professional tennis player from your youth. You um, this you conform to your parents' opinion, and although you love medicine, at one point you self-sabotaged your final exam, didn't you, Doctor? And you can't take the pressure, um, Bashir. What of... Lieutenant Dax, you like her, but you're not willing to try anything, are you? You give up on her. Bashir runs out out of Obson into his medical bay. Bashir says he made a mistake. Where he needs to be is the infirmary, the centre of his world, not the centre of the station. Bashir knows that the Lethian has had opportunities to kill him. It's not as easy to kill me as you claim, is it? You need me to give up. Bashir admits that he does have feelings for Dax, but she is a friend, and that's more important to him. He wouldn't exchange that friendship, and he is a great doctor, and he still chooses DS9. Even if he'd have passed that exam, it wouldn't have changed anything in his life. He quarantines the Lethian, and then sterilizes him. Back in the real world, Julian wakes up to the smiling face of his friends. Garrick and Bashir have a birthday meal to celebrate his survival, and he admits that turning 30 doesn't seem so bad anymore. Garrick is fascinated, though, that Julian's mind casts Garrick as a villain. After all these lunches and time together, you still don't trust me. Dear Doctor, there's hope for you yet. And that's how the episode ends. Thank you, Nathan. Um, first scene and last scene of this episode, I really enjoyed. Everything in the middle, meh. <laughs> you okay. did want, you wanted a Garrick-Bashir thing, and I didn't, like, this is always really hard when you, when someone picks an episode and you're like, ooh, um, I don't want to spoil it because it might spoil what we talk about on the podcast, but I was like, what what you think this episode is, Jake, is not what it is. <laughs> well, I found this episode um, because I found a list on... Uh, so Someone had created a blog on the internet that's dedicated to Garashia, and it's... No, and it's just someone has created a blog, Jake. The there are millions. Trillions of blogs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's there's one that's a specific list of all of the little dates that they go, that they go on. Um, <laughs> I'm aware that I just said gay on by mistake, which is uh, a Freudian slip and a half. But uh, well, they the, do gay on. Yeah, they hell gay on. yes, they do. 
But yeah, Julian is a proud gay lizard fucker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what Garrick actually represents is his repressed hob- is Bashir's repressed homosexuality. Hey! You me. don't fit in with the others. What do you represent? My conscience, your queerness. But um, <laughs> and then they just start snogging instead, and that's how he comes out of the coma. That would have been such a better episode. Since we met uh, Andrew Robinson at. Um, well, we didn't meet him, but since we saw him... On oh, since we met Andrew movie, Robinson, yes. <laughs> since we met him on, uh, that, um, uh, on, on the inclusivity panel, panel. Uh, I've I sort of got a newfound love for Garrett, but I didn't really... I didn't care too much for him earlier. Mm. But um, Aww, Yeah, that's yeah. why I wanted to do a, a Garrett Bashir episode, and obviously I'm slightly disappointed <laughs> that this is the one we ended up watching. I will... Ooh. In the new year, as a treat, I will pick like two or three good Garrett Bashir episodes, and we can enjoy them together. I mean, I think we've already watched one of the best ones, which yes. is um, the the oh, Our Man Bashir. Bashir yeah. That's it so is, good. That is good. Having but... met, having met Andrew Robinson, we can now also confidently say that we know for a fact Andrew Robinson himself would also have preferred an episode in which, at the end, he got to make yeah. out with Alexander Siddig, and that yeah, that's Andrew true. Robinson, as he yeah. Garrett getting words. it on was how the episode ended. As he described in his own words, uh, Alexander Siddig is fucking hot. The most, the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life. That's what the first, the most attractive man I've ever seen in my life. And then he said, when he first saw him, his first thought were before he was about to go on an act with him was, "Oh fuck, he's hot." Which he is, apart from in this episode where he turns into old man Siddig, uh, where yeah, old white man Siddig oh, yeah. as well. Very man odd. He also becomes Siddig. more European. That's that's my little song. Um, <laughs> Oh man, mm. take a look at my I, life. The way I would describe this episode. I was a doctor like <laughs> you were. This this episode is like the film Inside Out, but set in space, mixed with the curious case of Benjamin Button, but in reverse. Uh, which, I, but I, also mixed with Die yeah. Hard, because they do lots of crawling few tubes in the yes, dark. Yes, that's true as well. Yeah, and um, also I realised that saying the the film Benjamin Button, but in reverse, is just a film about a normal person. Uh, <laughs> 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 but, but, yeah, but it is. Uh, I feel like I'm, I, Jeremiah Clothes I'm... Peg is that like the opposite? Of <laughs> <Benjamin> <laughs> that made me laugh but... more than it had any right to. <laughs> <laughs> the more the the reason I find this episode so disappointing, in particular is that DS9 and TNG, I don't know about Voyager, but I could definitely believe Voyager could do it, but it's definitely a thing middle-aged Trek can do, and definitely TNG and DS9, is these weird, slightly science-horror tense yeah. episode. Because, um, Jake, you'll know the episode where Riker is, like, yes. trapped in that play, and it's really weird, and the episode where they're all, like, asleep and they have to reconstruct what's happened from them from yeah, flashes yeah. of their dreams and stuff. And it's all really weird and creepy and there's this tense mystery. I feel like this episode could be one of those, but it's not because it's crap. And part of the reason that is, I feel like there are two setups that they go with in this episode, which they could have made into brilliant... Um, Plots. So number one, the thing, the mistake I think they make is revealing immediately that the figments of Bashir's imagination yeah. and what they all represent, because that would be an amazing twist. Bashir, mm. wake, like, because when Bashir wakes up and the station's all damaged, 
Like, I'm like, oh shit, that Lethian's done something. That Lethian's done something cool. What's that Lethian done? Um, like, what's going on here? And, like, you could rapidly increase the strangeness, the weird moments, stuff not quite working, characters acting out of order. Um, so, like, you know, the way I do it is there'd be slight weirdness from the characters. You'd see them acting a little bit out of character, a little bit oddly. And then, you know, um, stuff would happen, strange things would happen. You might have Bashir, you know, take a turbo lift to one place and not be able to get there and be confused as to why things are. And he sort of realises, and then right at the end he realises what's happened and that's how he wins. He's like, I don't need to repair the station, I need to repair myself to the infirmary. <laughs> right? Like, mm. like that. That would be quite a good, tense, yes. weird episode. Um, and it could do a lot of that because a lot of uh, what the Lethian like tells Julian would be um, things. And I think another weird element you could have is have um, the out of character other crew members do things that like reveal those plot points. Like um, uh, you know Bashir. I'm imagining a briefing scene while we still think everything's going on as normal, and then Cisco says, Mr. Bashir, aren't you the one who sabotaged yourself at your medical exam? I don't yeah, need yeah. your opinion, you know, or something like that. And it'd be like, how does the captain know that? How does, why is he holding it against me? The other thing I feel like they could do is, you know how Garrick is like, oh, there's a mystery. Everyone is guilty in a Cardassian mystery. Somehow you could, oh. instead of this kind of thing, it'd be like, it it's somehow everyone's fault. I don't know how that episode would translate as well, but it seems it I it always like the first time I watched this episode I was like, oh, that's the setup and like they're all arguing because actually each of them are guilty of some kind of thing that's caused this problem. And you and Bashir's gonna have to piece it together to work out who's yeah. but obviously that very quickly goes away. But I would be like, Oh, that'd be that'd be an interesting plot. I prefer the first yeah. episode I articulated there, but either of them well, would be better than what we got. Once again, within about five minutes, Nathan just rewrites and improves <laughs> the Star Trek episode with like about five minutes of thinking put into it. I have the easy job, though, because I know what they put up with. I didn't have a black page at any point. <laughs> um, no, but, like, editing, good editing is really hard. And for a lot of writers, good editing is actually a harder skill than writing a shitty first draft. And the episode that you've just suggested would cohesively hang together and it'd be a lot more satisfying than the one that we got, which just had a load of disparate elements thrown in, none of which ever really paid, panned out or played out in a... A satisfying manner you know even the fact that the lethian or whatever he's called is wanting to buy biomimetic gel i thought that could be a great setup for some kind of medical conspiracy that it's going to surround biomimetic gel but well, that is what that, that like that gel is then what um bashir refuses to uh, like cisco has to get him to sign off to do the thing in um in, when in he's the pale moon, doing the Romulan conspiracy, yeah, yeah, that. But it's not relevant to the episode. In we don't even no. find out why this alien wanted the biomimetic gel. And I thought that a sort of satisfying or interesting plot twist might be that he finds out what the reason is, and it turns out maybe it's a really good reason, like he needs to save his dying species or something. 
And then Julian's drawn into a moral dilemma surrounding this object. But in fact, it could have been any old thing. He could have said, I want a blueberry muffin. And if you don't give me a blueberry muffin right now, I'm going to telepathically zap you into a coma. Or it could have just been like, I want a gold-plated copy of the Enterprise. Like, the actual object was so irrelevant and not drawn into the episode at all that I found that really annoying because we then just have this bad guy used as a villain who doesn't have any discernible motivation, who just seems evil for the point of being evil, and actually doesn't have a character because we never find out why he just... We never find anything about yeah. That's a good point. We, we never, never know anything, anything about, about him, him. Except that for some reason he takes a really strange kind of delight in murdering Julian via a coma, which would make sense if, for example, we found out that he has a really strong reason to resent Julian, or he has, mm. like, you know, Julian once didn't save his wife, or when she was, like, dying of cancer or something. But or literally anything. Literally I mean, I anything, feel like... but there's no reason for him to have this grudge against Julian. No. No. I mean, this, this if it was written as a later episode, would also absolutely happen to Miles. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a really good episode um, where... Oh, it's so... I mean, it it's not an episode for um, when you're not, like, feeling at your most mentally strong. Yeah. But it, there's a really good episode where Miles... Miles falls foul of some alien government. Oh, right. And <laughs> their method of punishing criminals is to edit memories of prison into their heads. So no oh, time passes, but they feel like they've... Um, Thing and the Federation managed to like extradite him and get him to leave his sentence. The episode is intercut of Miles remembering his time in prison. Everyone trying to like tell him that didn't really happen, Miles. I know it feels re like that. I mean, I'm I'm glibly summarizing it. Yeah. They approach it quite sensitively. They're not minimizing him. And Miles almost gets driven to suicide oh my by God. it. Um, it's, a, it's a horrible episode, but Cole Meany acts it really well. And Alexander Siddick, to be fair, talks um, Miles, like, acts as Bashir talking Miles down, and it's a really that sounds, strong performance from both actors. Sounds like a great actors. episode. That sounds... Yeah, it's a better, it's a better, like, take on this whole, like, trapped in your own mind mm. concept, for sure. I actually thought that it was initially quite creepy and scary. When Julian wakes up and you don't really know what's going on and he yeah. looks in the mirror and he's yeah. starting to go grey and the sequences that happen are sort of mysterious but unexplained but hang together in a way that seems to make sense for them. It actually starts off really good. It's like, oh, they're being chased through a ship by a mysterious figure. I wonder who it could be. Like, And it's then after yeah. about 10 minutes when they immediately explain everything straight away that things start to go downhill because suddenly he starts jumping between sequences without any reason to, but also not in a way that kind of adds to the mystery because you've already set up a situation where he's walking through an empty DS9, which is quite creepy. And he could have just been walking around an empty DS9 for a lot of the episode, like hearing these voices. But then actually... Mm. It's like, oh, well, let's just have an interlude where he's randomly playing tennis with Garrick. Why the fuck are they... Why? <laughs> why are they doing... And, and why... that kind of thing, if, if, if the mystery wasn't revealed at that point, it, that could work quite well. Yeah. Because you'd be, like, walking, doing stuff, creepy things, MTDS9, playing tennis. Why am I here? 
right? Like yeah. towards the mm-hmm. end. Yeah. It, it is that yeah. reveal. And uh, I've often thought with the creepy ass DS9 and um, TNG episodes, I'm like, why don't they do these kinds of things more often? And I think the reason is because if, if they don't work, as this episode proves, they fall really flat. Right? Yeah, like, yeah I agree. Because, like, there's an, an. And sorry to keep bringing up other episodes of DS9 where they do this concept better, but, like,. There's an episode that's like early in the Dominion War arc where um, the crew, minus I think Odo, um, get kidnapped, and it's near, it's I think near the end of the series. You don't realize they've been kidnapped. There's there's a it's part of a two parter, and you, you the. So you you see the Defiant get shot up, and then uh, the next episode opens with them escaping in kind of runabouts and escape pods back to DS9, and um, it kind of says that uh, it kind of makes sense. But actually, what happened was they got they all got captured, and it, it, from the escape onwards is a simulation. Mm. And the whole idea is the Dominion are running the simulation to test how far Cisco and the like would go against orders and the Federation to prevent a Dominion sort of political takeover. Because mm-hmm. what happens when they get back to DS9 in the simulation is an admiral tells them, oh, your mission was a success. We actually got diplomatic ties with the founders, which was the mission they were going out on. Um, we've agreed something which will ensure peace. Um, you can demob from DS9 where giving them Bajor and a number of other concessions which are clearly unfair, um, but it will mean the Dominion stay peaceful. And Cisco is like, no, you can't trust them. They won't. They will take more than that. Like, you know, I'm not a warmonger, but you can't give them the strategic power that DS9 represents. And they all discuss what to do and end up deciding they would rather destroy the wormhole, cutting off Odo and Kira from them, than thing and then that's where the simulation ends and they're like oh we had to see how far you would go it seems that this plan will not work we will have to formulate another and it's really creepy because you're like oh they actually like even though cisco succeeded in his simulate you know in his simulation because it was all the simulation the dominion now know a lot more about how he acts and what to do and Mm. how to invade and and where to try next and you know it it just it's only by comparison to these kinds of episodes that I can really see how flawed this episode is. Because I, I think when you're watching it, you know it's bad, but you don't... I, I Certainly, I can't say why. Um, I can. Or what, you know. After that okay. explanation <laughs> that you've just given, what you've given is that the moral dilemma and the quandary presented by the concept which in this episode was the coma and in that episode was the simulation where they don't know it's a simulation and in this one the coma that he doesn't know is a coma mm. has real real world repercussions in terms of either a greater story arc or some genuine like moral complexity whereas in this one as we've yeah. kind of touched upon with the lack of character motivation for the lethian that puts julian in a coma it the whole thing is totally irrelevant and in no way ties to either a greater story arc or anything morally interesting outside of the coma itself because we don't know why he was put in the fucking coma in the first place and 
that's not to say that the episode has to tie into a larger story arc because there are lots of very self-contained filler episodes that are really good in their own right. But they're also all ones that leave you with an interesting question or explore an interesting proposition. And here, what they've started with is, oh, let's bring up this interesting concept with this alien and then abandoned it in favour of, oh no, actually the concept we're interested in is Julian's internal state and the conflict between his emotions. But they've not made either of those satisfying enough to actually explore in any way that leaves you with an interesting like climax because the climax in terms of julian's emotions is just really embarrassing and disappointing (laughs) it's like i'm so traumatized because i wanted to be a tennis player but i didn't want to disappoint mummy and daddy oh i'm like i'm supposed to give a fuck about this like what the fuck and then lethian's like you've always been a quitter julian what because he quit like semi-professional tennis bitch like every like he quit his childhood hobby so he's sorry what so did everyone literally everyone except olympians quit their childhood like sports hobby (laughs) like what are you talking about oh you were a quitter because you came second instead of being the valedictorian of your entire medical university sorry what that's not called being and that and that's you're you're touching on some stuff that are quite intricate because later on when we go with this um, bioengineered thing about julian which is a later edition they they use a lot of these things as a much stronger anchoring point so he in particular that medical exam comes up again because so there's two interesting things they do with it one he meets the person who beat him and she is like you can't have made that mistake i don't i feel a fraud because i know you i know you didn't make that mistake you claimed you made by accident so i don't feel like i really deserve this like lauded position and choice of assignments that i ended up getting so she has imposter syndrome because of julian julian has imposter syndrome because of her and then um, they have another thing, which is with his um, genetic modifications, he doesn't want to call attention to himself. So, you know, he's been self-sabotaging his entire life and hiding elements of himself. So he he didn't want to be a sportsman because he would be found out because he would ev- they'd eventually realize he has above, you know, because in order to beat professionals, he'd have to use the full extent of his abilities which would mean revealing himself, and so on and so forth, in a way that um, that I think is a much better anchoring point. But in this episode, it just feels yeah. kind of like hollow yeah, like accusations. Of, yeah, that yeah. Is yeah a exactly, because ret- none of that had been come up that with is a retcon. Like the, in the writer's room. Yeah, made. that is a retcon of yeah, this, exactly. to make that, that concept more interesting. And if they'd actually been bright enough that they'd thought of those ideas at the point when they were doing this episode... Imagine how fascinating it could have been to have the lithium be like, you're lying to yourself in your own mind. Like, you're lying to everyone. Oh, yeah. you're a quitter because you didn't ask Docs on a date yet. Like, bitch, please. <laughs> like, you're self-sabotaging yeah. because you're, you know, it, that could have been so fascinating. And Julian could have been like going around DS9 battling his inner demons instead of just having like half-assed conversations with Miles that are kind of supposed to be comedic, yeah. but actually just sort of seem like a sort of quite awkward 
oh, look, the pessimistic Irishman. Ha ha, what a funny stereotype that isn't rooted in British colonialism. And like, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like, it was, it's just poorly executed. DS9, you can do better yeah, than this. Yeah, definitely. And I, I read an interesting fact about the, um, uh, about that thing that Nathan brought up with the, the, the error that he makes on the, uh, on the medical exam, which he, he makes on purpose. Cause apparently that's been, that's that specific error that he made, the difference between a, a, whatever it was. It's a, brought up, it's um, brought up all, all the time. It's like a yeah, and a, but a, joke. A, a, and a, apparently that's like a, in real life medicine, that's like an actual thing that no one would ever mistake. They, they are completely different and it's like a really silly thing uh, that when it was first used, the writer didn't realise that it was like that obviously like a bad mistake to make. Um, and it was yeah. either the writer or the producer's wife who was uh, studying veterinary medicine or something. Uh, she sort of had a, a word with him and said, look, that... I don't believe anyone would ever make that mistake. So you've got to write in a way to make it Makes like it's sense. always bothered me that that you yeah. made that error. So this, it's this the kind of error was... like a computer science like it, it, uh, the way I've heard it described in a way that I can kind of understand is it it'd be like someone who studies computer science confusing Windows with um, Mac or Linux. Whoa! Like, it's that, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. That, like dumb, dumb. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it's, yeah, it's like a proper thing that y if you knew anything like first like first year medicine, you would know the difference between these yeah, two things. And basic the anatomy. writer didn't realize that. Yeah, and so this, uh, according to Memory Alpha, um, FOTS Memory Alpha, uh, <laughs> they they said that um, the yeah the writer put this specific reference in this episode as a way of going. Like to his wife. All right, look, I've paid attention to you, and I've <laughs> and I've made it part of the show now. Uh, and then it was only like a couple of seasons later when Nathan said they they come up with this uh, genetically mon engineered modified version of um, of Bashir that they realised that they could like weave that in and retcon it, like you said, Maddie. Um, but you're right. Once they've done that, it makes it uh, it makes it seem a lot more interesting and a, and a good character point. But if they'd had that at the time when they made this, and if the the Telethian had been using those kinds of arguments with him in that last scene, like Maddie's just described, it would be a much better and a much more kind of philosophical uh, point to make on on that uh, on on in the show and in this episode in general. Um, but the, yeah, I think the um, I think it's just badly executed. Like they don't. I came away from it going, well, yeah, like I get what happened, but I don't really see what the point of it was. Like, what was, what was the, what was the message I was supposed to get from this? That that Julian had a hard day. Is that it? It's, and it's a very. I mean, the other like hole. I mean, just to keep shooting holes in this episode is like, <laughs> I don't even think thirty is. Like middle age, like it, I, I can see that when the show was written, Bertie might have been considered the start of middle age. But now I would say, with longer age spans, it's a little bit older than that. That I think before you get to proper, like middle age yeah. in the way, I mean, people still get depressed whenever they hit a, around ten. That that will just always <laughs> be true. But like life expectancy now for uh, someone who lived out a full natural life is, you know. 
older than like 60, 70. So middle age really doesn't start until you're older than that. And I think people generally, 30-year-olds now feel younger than 30-year-olds then. But in the Star Trek Hmm. universe, where human life expectancy is extended to about (laughs) 120, and like you still see 100-plus-year-olds living fairly active lives at that time, and like, you know, not particularly, you know, you see a very aged McCoy in TNG, but like, you know, even he can still, like, get something out of touring the Enterprise. It's, um... It's a little odd that 30 is still considered some kind... Like, it's not even a third of the lifespan of the average human in Star Trek. It's not. It's not that big a deal. You were just saying something about the ageing, and I was getting cross because the ageing of Julian actually is quite an irrelevant sort of bookend. And if they'd been... It's a very odd element, isn't it? If they'd been doing the episode in a clever way, the Julian... <laughs> the thing the thing that Garrick and Julian would discuss at either end would be somehow tied to Julian's internal crisis, which in this episode they're trying to tell us is the fact that Julian's a quitter, even though we don't believe that that's the case. So why is mm. the moral dilemma presented completely irrelevant to that? Like... Garrick and Julian should have been having some kind of conversation about how, like, Julian just, you know, won't stick at anything or, like, he won't ask Dax out because he's too scared of, like, pushing her away or or something. And then that would have at least tied to the moral conflict he was going through in the actual coma itself. But instead, it almost just seemed like, oh, well, we need a funny concept. So let's make the concept Garrick sorry julian is afraid of aging but like what's that got to do with the coma like what's that got to do with his experiences what's that got to do with anything else i i feel a lot like someone who was writing this was about to turn 30 and (laughs) like and i mean what what nathan was saying that like people live longer now so like 30 isn't as big a deal as it used to be maybe but um like where we are all very lucky to still be in our 20s but um i think i'm the oldest here uh i'm 28 so like i'm two (laughs) i'm two years away from being 30 and it doesn't strike me as like something to be nope concerned about at all granddad jake that (laughs) yeah exactly like the fact that like uh that bashir has done so much in his life and his career up to the point when he's 29 like you'd think he wouldn't be that bothered about turning 30 because he's so he's achieved so much already it also doesn't seem to gel with the fact that later on we find out that he is a sort of biogenetically engineered human in which case surely aging is even more irrelevant for him it kind of it almost seems like a throwback to the more sort of shallow julian that we met at the beginning of series one which i feel like they've moved away from by now. Well, we've we've talked about yeah, that before. Yeah, no, 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 it's only season three. I mean, look how young Cisco looks. He still looks like a fucking idiot. Um, Cisco, <laughs> Cisco's but, face is like, smooth as baby's ass. Like, he genuinely yeah, looks yeah. so young. Yeah. Not not one mention um, of his dead wife this episode as well. So fuck I'm off, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talk well, about th- Cisco's dead wife more than Cisco does, I swear to God. <laughs> 
That is a fair point. Um, the uh, one thing I noticed right when I was looking at the memory alpha page for this episode is it's so it's so low on interesting facts about the the episode that one of them is just it just has a fact that just says Sirock Loftus does not appear in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like we we were really out of things to say, so we just have to go. Yeah, Jake Sisko's not in it. That that's an interesting fact. <laughs> so what the um, hell did Quark represent? Everyone in Julian's coma represented something. Cisco was his professionalism. For some reason, Kira was his aggression. That also doesn't seem like a sexist trope at all. Um, like her complaining so about things. It was things. A very like none of them. I mean, the captain made of all of them. Cisco made sense, yeah. right? Like he's a yeah. very he's your boss. He's a professional, so mm-hmm. you know it made kind of sense to see Cisco doing the again. If they hadn't revealed it, yeah, um, like that moment where Bashir is going, no, you're doing my job would have been like a do 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 do. Yeah, yeah. But they completely ruined it because we know what's going on by then. Um, I think. Quark- I mean, all of them didn't make loads of sense. I think Quark, uh, sort of, he represents. Th- I mean, there's the ob- the obvious reading would be that he op- represents fear and uh, and sort of anxiety because of when we first see him cowering behind the mm. bar, scared of the uh, yeah. of the Telethian, etc. Um, but there was a, a thing on Memory Alpha that someone had suggested where they think that he sort of represents. Um, Bashir's kind of uh, insight and uh, what? and his and his sort of like because so Quark's this kind of you know big eared guy who knows everything that's going on in the mm. uh, on on the on the station. He he knows sort of all the ins and outs of everyone's routines and stuff because he he has this position where that's his business to know. Um, and so the people have suggested that maybe Quark kind of represents that side of Bashir, like the, the side of him that kind of the sort of Sherlock side of him that kind of notices things and understands things and kind of uh, which I, I don't really get that but no because be it also it he also then on the internet he like bets does bets on how long it's going to take Julian to die so I assume that yeah. he would then represent Julian's greed like if he yeah, had think, been there you? to represent Julian's insight one interesting take that would have been on Quark and they could have, you know, made Quark do some interesting things. But, yeah, and, and I didn't understand why Julian was like, ah, Garrick, you're different from the others. You definitely don't fit in here. I'm like, what about Garrick is any stranger than Garrick already is every single day? Like, and in no <laughs> way has this Garrick been any weirder than the fake versions of the other characters that you've already spoke to been. So, I, yeah, if they'd wanted Garrick to be more of like a sinister figure that was actually the Lethian. Why did he why did he help Julian get to the one part of the ship that was then going to allow him to cure himself and defeat the Lethian? None of that makes any sense. If Garrick was actually the Lethian all along, surely he would have just like like, you know, ripped out chunks of his flesh with his reptile mouth or something and like killed him there and then. I'm trying to find the the um the description on uh memory alpha that, uh, that that where someone's tried to explain that uh the idea of of him representing the the insight um 
It says, while it is never explained in this episode which aspects of Bashir are represented by Quark and Garak, the episode does hold some clues as to what they might be. When Bashir first meets with Quark, Quark tells him, don't you see, if we move, he'll find us. Not only is this what happens exactly after, but only in the end does Bashir realise he should have stayed in the infirmary all along. When Bashir meets Quark for the, the second time, Quark is holding bets to predict when the Doctor will die and what part of him will go first. As a result, O'Brien ends up taking Bashir's place as subject of bets and dies. Uh, as a shady, big-eared character who is well aware of most everything going on on the station next to Otto, Quark could be something alike to Bashir's insight. Yeah, I could see that. I mean... I feel like that argument is weak and flimsy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not properly thought through, is it? This nope. So that's like yeah. the... Well, that's why that's, we're struggling to talk about undercurrent. it, right? Yeah, it, it, it just feels like someone turned in a late-night draft because they're like, oh, shit, I've got to do the Star Trek episode. Uh, <laughs> sure, fucking this'll do. Like, you know, not rather than, like, you know, I think the standard of writing and consideration we almost come to expect from yeah. Star no, Trek, right? I agree, yeah, especially for DS9. You know, we've watched some, despite the fact it's not my favourite series, we've watched some really well-written and well-thought-out DS9 mm. episodes that have obviously had a lot of effort put into making them have a a meaning and a uh, and, and a sort of message to them, uh, like you know, in the pale moonlight, for example, and then, and then you get ones like this where it just feels like it. And I get that, you know, they're they're long series, and there are lots of different writers, and you've got to try. There has to be filler somewhere, but there, like Maddie said earlier, there are filler episodes that are much better than this. It, it just because it's not like one of the keystone episodes of a series that they're really invested in making be particularly impressive or, or whatever it doesn't mean that they can just ignore the the filler episodes completely and just churn out any old rubbish and it feels like that's sort of what they've done here like they've gone okay we've got a script we've done a, a second draft of it that's good enough we'll just yeah make that. yeah a second you know, draft and, and like there's not been really any proper editing on the structure and the themes underlying yeah. what they actually want to put across Yes, exactly. And, you know, the fact that Nathan at the start of this episode of the podcast was able to, like, just off the top of his head almost, come up with two much better ideas for scripts for this. Yeah. You know, and Nathan, despite being very good at doing that, as we've discussed in the past, isn't a professional writer for Star Trek, you know. <laughs> Sadly. Their yes, loss. exactly. Yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. But, like, we, I think that's proof that, you know, that this is a bit lackluster in terms of imagination. There are there are episodes where I watch them and I go, I I can't imagine having come up with that as an idea. Like I can't I can't see what sort of brainwave someone's had to come up with that episode. Like there's an episode of Voyager I watched earlier today that is like that, uh, where the whole thing turns out to be like it's a it's almost like Inception. It's like a um it's a the, the, it's all in the doctor's mind but then it, it's actually in a different version of the doctor's mind that's in someone else's mind and it's like and it, it, it's it's pretty good but it's like how how would you come up with that idea as a, as something whereas this feels like someone's just gone oh yeah so we'll um we'll put Bashir into a coma and then when he's in a coma uh he'll meet some different versions of the people who represent parts of himself and then 
and then nothing much happens at the end. And then it's that's like it. I said earlier. That's it. Yeah, like the end. And we'll make it a bit spooky, and we'll just have some you, random you, you scenes to to establish spookiness, and and then and then at the end he'll just defeat the villain by giving a grand speech about never about how he yeah. like gave up tennis. Exactly, and nothing's really changed. We haven't learned anything no. new about Bashir, really, and nothing has changed f- for Bashir's character particularly. We've talked about that in the past as well, that Bashir's character doesn't really get any development until about season four or five, um, and that's why I, I dislike Bashir quite a bit in the early seasons. But, like, like yeah, the, when you come away from this, you don't go, oh, I can see what the message they were trying to get across here clearly is, although or the development they want to get across. All, all you come away from it going is, oh, Julian's had a bad day, hasn't he? Like, <laughs> yeah! that, that's essentially it. Like, it, it's just, it just baffles oh, me that, no. like, that, like, something like this, that could be such a good idea for a way of exploring something. Yeah, and they even could have, even if they hadn't done any of the clever things that we've mentioned so far, and even if every other aspect of the episode was still the same, they could have at least used the internal versions of julian's personality to like teach him something to like for him to be like oh turns out i've actually got a massive cowardly streak that i didn't know about or wow actually i've got this confidence that i in the form of cisco that i never knew that i had they don't even use what they've got to do something a bit more profound it's just like they laid all the cards it's like 52 card pickup they had a few ideas they (laughs) tossed them in the air and were like well they fall in a random pattern we're good to go lads (laughs) well it's it's like you know earlier i i made the comparison that this is a bit like the film inside out the the pixar film right that's an insult to inside out well it is yeah but that's what i'm saying it's like inside out does pretty much the same concept uh, but is really good and makes a good point out of it, and mm. you know, and and is also aimed at children, so is like and restricted is emotional. In, in that. It's like really and is emotional. emotional. It makes me. I mean, it's like, if you've not listened to it, if you've not watched it, listeners, uh, go watch Inside Out because it's really good, um, and it made me cry. The bib, oh, Bing Bong, oh, I'm so sorry, Bing Bong. Um, but the, but you know, that's a, a version of the same. I know it's a film, and they've got more time and space to sort of deal with it, but but it's also aimed at children, which restricts it more so. But you'd think in across a, a fifty minute TV episode, they'd be able to come up with something a bit more interesting than just, oh yeah, I'm meeting some versions of my of, of my personality, and and I'm not going to interact particularly with them, and I'm not going to learn anything from them. They're just going to be there, and and apparently in the first draft of this script, they weren't even played by the the other characters from the show. It was just they were just going to have other random actors come in and play these parts of his of his mind in his head and they weren't even going to be represented by people from the show so like at least at some point someone someone realized that would have been so boring yeah exactly oh fuck this episode is really shit so like we need to add some (laughs) interest let's at least have like a kind of spooky shot of major kira like lying dead in a hallway at least we had some like mild <laughs> creep value from that it's like oh no random ensign number six that we'd never met before is now dead in a hallway i guess yeah. we care because reasons <laughs> like the the saving grace of the saving grace of the episode is the the cute date with garak at the beginning and the end where we get to to see him get a birthday present from garak and like and it's and it's got a little bow on it, and it's very cute. I love all of the. I I realised I love all the like interactions about their relative cultures and like Cardassian culture. And yes, so on. it's like 
You know, because isn't it in Alman Bashir or something? I'm sure we've watched it where there's another bit where it's like um, uh, Bashir is like, well, I don't really like Cardassi and, you know, everyone, he dies just in service to the state and then his family goes on to serve the state as well. It's very, he goes, yes, a glorious <laughs> like, history of loyal service and so on. And then in this one, it's like, yes, of course they're all guilty. The mystery is working out who is because if the state says you're guilty, then you're guilty. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the the thing I liked learning about Cardassians in this episode is that they don't have very good hearing. Like that's yeah, just like a weird fact that they've made up. That I thought you've got the time to think about that when you're writing the script to come up with some kind <laughs> of weird little mini detail about Cardassian physiology, but you don't have enough time to think about what the meaning of this episode is going to be. Yep, yep. It's, yeah, but it is nice to meet an alien species that's slightly worse than humans for once. I did like, think you that, know. yeah, because the, the temptation <laughs> is just to make all the aliens so much cooler than humans. It's like, statistically, some of them are going to be a bit shit. <laughs> <laughs> On the bell curve, there's got to be at least one alien species that's shitter than us. It's like us versus yeah. the fluffy dog with the dealy boppers at the at like, <laughs> at like the shit tier. <laughs> Yeah. I actually oh, thought God. that Julian's acting of being an old man was pretty good. The prosthetics got increasingly bizarre. Alexander Siddig acts his little socks off in this episode. Yeah, he does, yeah. I found a quote from him before, for, from something where, before he went on to, uh, to to record this episode, he was sort of getting into into character as playing an old age guy. Um, and he said... Uh, I need to prepare for it, not necessarily to practice being old, but just to get it in my head, just to walk around with it and get comfortable with the idea, uh, which I think is a a really good point. Like it, it's, I think, I mean, I'm not an actor, but I think you could fall into the trap of just thinking that acting like an old man is just doing the same character, but like shaking your arms a bit or whatever. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think there probably there probably is actually quite a lot of skill that he's had to employ to be able to to play that character that way and and get it right. And I think he does do a good job. I think that's one of the saving graces of this episode is that you get to see some of the range of the actors because they're because their characters are slightly different to how they are in real life or in, in you know in in the real life of the show. So you get to see Jadzia being a bit more strong headed and you get to see uh Miles O'Brien being pessimistic and sad and in a way that you don't normally see those actors portraying those characters. So I, I did enjoy that element of it. So we've, we're about to, we're going to have to wrap up, I think. Um, but we've got to do the important questions, obviously, before we go. Um, so first of all, uh, in this episode, uh, which character would we most like to see wearing a fez? <laughs> Garak. I mean, I think the obvious answer is the Lithian, because I think he's got quite yeah. a, He's got quite a grumpy looking face, and I think it would just be maybe at a jaunty angle, just a little fez would cheer elderly, him up a little elderly bit. Elderly Bashir in a fez, though. Old Bashir yeah, in a old fez. I think I, old, I'm going to go for old Bashir. Yeah, I think let's go old Bashir. I think that's a good shout. Um, okay, second question is the Klim question, and Klim is a space Karen, so who in this episode is most likely to ask to speak to the manager, do you think? The Lithian. I mean, yeah, the Lithian is a good shout because he does, he does ask, he goes to Quark to get to get Quark to come and ask Bashir for the for the, yeah. the the stuff. So like that makes sense to me that like he's already gone to the manager anyway, because he's had to go to Quark to get 
to, to rather than which I find it weird anyway because he's like this obviously this big angry like deadly guy and he feels the need to go through Quark to go to Bashir who is like little drink boy so <laughs> there's, there's definitely an element of of Karenish energy to to the uh, to the Lithian I reckon um, and then. Our, our final question, the most important one, obviously, is who in this episode is most likely to try and suck their own cock? Mm, Puddle Odo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I also think Puddle Odo should have been a good a contender for the Fez as well. Just a Fez sitting in a <laughs> on puddle. the puddle <laughs> of yeah. the puddle. There's nothing there but a puddle wearing a Fez, and then Julian picks it up like, no, Odo. <laughs> Uh, she's gone again. She says farewell. All right, I'll, I'll just, just uh, do. I'll just do, do, an just outro. do the outro. All right. Well, that's that's about the end of this episode. I think uh, next week we'll be back. Uh, we are going to be doing an episode of TOS. Uh, I think we're looking at Assignment Earth from season two of TOS, which is a really yeah. fun episode. So uh, we will will uh, go, go and watch that if you want to before. Uh, before the episode comes out if you want to be up to date um, all that's left to say is uh, thank you live long and prosper and goodbye goodbye bye goodbye